Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. This is your MC and musical tour guide, Big Papa Stampley. Welcome to the Gallant Goose and Friends a weekly production of the Gallant Goose Radio Network airing live from coast to coast and around the world on Thursday nights at 6.45 Eastern here on TalkShoe.com, program number 139-335. The primary focus of this interactive program is to discuss mortgage foreclosure defense and attack strategies and related homeowner issues with our guests and callers. We come to you from the birthplace of the American Bar Association and the home of Abraham Lincoln, Al Capone, The Untouchables, and Operation Greylord, where the motto is, vote early, vote often, and according to some politicians, even when you're dead. Here you'll find general information about home loans and ownership, notes and mortgages, as well as pointers on lenders, banks, funding, securitization, regulations, titles, credit damage, and more, plus different forms of resolution when things go wrong between homeowners and lenders, including RESPA, FDCPA, and Tiller Rescission. With the help of our guests, we'll try and find general answers to your questions on these and other popular topics. Now please remember, this program is for general information only. No official advice regarding accounting, law, taxes, or other regulated services given here. If you need a lawyer or accountant, please hire one authorized to work in your state. This is your MC and musical tour guide, Big Papa Stanford, reminding y'all, when it comes to saving your house, don't let the bank of blues stop you from getting all your clues. We thank y'all for being here tonight. Let's try and help each other. Now please welcome the host of the show, Greg the Goose. Welcome, everyone, to episode 29 of the Gallant Goose and Friends here on Talk Show number 139-335. Today is Thursday, April 14th, 2016. We appreciate you all being here. Please keep passing the word along to your friends and family so our flock can grow. Our topic tonight is part two of Life After Financial Fiasco, Rebuilding Your Foundation, Strategies for Post-Foreclosure and Other Personal Disasters. Too often we focus on the presumption or hope that folks will win their foreclosure battles. But even if they may prevail, in the long run, losing a foreclosure battle or even winning a loan principal reduction comes with immediate consequences against your credit. So what do you do? Many homeowners and their lawyers are unaware that credit damage to a borrower caused by unlawful actions of creditors, including wrongful foreclosures, which cause damage to their credit reports, provide causes of action, and the basis for pleadings for compensatory damages. These can include increased out-of-pocket costs, loss of credit capacity, loss of credit expectancy from negative remarks appearing on your credit report. Returning this week, we have two special guests who have been blazing a trail to help homeowners recover compensation 
and rebuild their financial and credit status. Corey Goldstein, CEO and credit consultant at FixMyReport.com, and George Finder, credit damage expert, are with us again this evening to discuss these issues and review the results of the credit reports they performed for some of our audience members from their previous appearance here. But before we get ahead of ourselves, a few important words. The Gallon Goose is not associated with any other program, law firm, accounting firm, or any other legal accounting or other licensed professional entity and is the sole responsibility of the private group of friends which constitute it. All opinions expressed are those of the participants alone and no warranties expressed or implied. This call is being recorded for rebroadcast, so we do not recommend disclosing your private contact information. To contact or be contacted by other participants on this call, please email the host and we'll do our best to connect you offline. To hear past recordings, just go to www.talkshoe.com forward slash tc forward slash 139335 and select the episode. Also, to read the chat text from any past show, just go to www.chatgrabber.com. Type in our show number 139335 and select the episode. If you would like to receive a weekly email notifying you of the program, please email the host at thegallongoose at gmail.com with the subject line, Please add me to the goose. To be removed from the mailing list, use the subject line, Please pluck my goose. Welcome back, everyone. Remember, justice should be blind, not you. Realize you are as powerful as the tools you master. So don't forget to check out some of those tools at www.howtowinincourt.com slash win slash gallant goose. For those of you who don't already know, here's a little bit about our guests. Corey Goldstein and his company, FixMyReport.com, have been helping homeowners through his publications and services for 10 years. Google Plus voted Fix My Report as one of the top 25 most influential pros for 2015 in the field of real estate and mortgages. He is the author of numerous books such as Special Report, Discover Secret Credit Score Opportunities. Corey says credit reporting agencies are like referees in the sports game, but in this game, it's your life and financial well-being. They may influence the calls, but they don't decide the outcome. Negative or inaccurate entries on your credit reports can potentially cripple you for years with employers, landlords, insurance companies, and more. Citizens should take initiative to challenge those bad calls and fix their reports. George Finder is a highly recognized credit damage expert who focuses on credit reporting violations and credit damage measurement. He has 20 years' experience evaluating credit reports and appearing as an expert witness for both plaintiffs and defendants in cases across America. He is the author of the 2010 book, Successful Credit Damage Measurement and Compensation. George points out, a credit damage expert is a court-accepted expert witness. The CDE, as they call it, is able to organize and review credit-related documentation and develop and monetize with great specificity the change in credit reputation and the several economic areas where the economic credit damage may be measured. George is also a continuing legal education instructor on credit report issues and credit reputation damage compensation. His services, books, and seminars are available at his website. So without further delay, let's welcome Corey Goldstein and George Finder back to the show. Hello, gentlemen. How are you doing tonight? Great. All right, Corey, before we get too deep into the show, um, there's something I'd like to bring up. Uh, 
We at the Gallant Goose and Friends have learned about two young sisters, Alina, 19, and Elisa, who have a rare life-shortening disease called Friedrich's Ataxia, I believe it's pronounced. I understand you're very familiar with these girls and their condition. Would you mind telling us a little bit about them and uh, how we might be able to pitch in and help? Absolutely. Uh, hello, everybody, and Greg, thank you very much for having us on the show again. You have absolutely amazing, generous, brilliant listeners, and uh, and thanks for the moment to be able to share about my my nieces. Um, my cousin has three kids, uh, two of which have this debilitating disease called Friedrich's ataxia, and um, I, uh, my cousin and his family are effectively out of money, and uh, they're having a very difficult time being able to take care of their kids, and so. What I did was I put together a GoFundMe campaign. And uh, if you go to the GoFundMe campaign, it's GoFund.com, and type in both their names, Elena and Lisa, you'll see their story. There's a video there. And what they're suffering with is really pretty amazing for some, you know, two young girls that can barely, uh, they can't walk at this point. Um, they can barely shower themselves, you know, or cut their own food. Uh, but they're very clear and they're very sharp, but uh, the mind's working and the body's not. So what we're asking for are people to go to the website, the GoFundMe.com, look up Elena and Elisa, and uh, share the video if possible, make a financial contribution. Uh, we're looking to raise $100,000 so we can buy them a, uh, a van. Uh, right now they don't have a van that actually uh, has any integrity to it, and oh, no wheelchairs that... Uh, a motorized. They need motorized wheelchairs. And so um, I appreciate the opportunity to share, and please share with your friends. We want to get tens of thousands of Facebook likes uh, and uh, and shares. So GoFundMe.com, Elena and Elisa. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Uh, well, we posted a link on the chat board at the beginning of the call, so some of the folks that are coming in late probably won't see them again. If you'd like to check that link out, you can go to chatgrabber.com and then just select our show, 139335, and then select episode 29, and you'll be able to download those things plus everything else that the folks type into the chat board for the rest of the program. Okay. Um, all right, guys. So if you want to get down to monkey business here. Um, if the two of you don't mind, could we start out with just getting a review and understanding of what exactly credit damage is, why it matters to our audience? And, you know, please feel to run with this, especially for those folks who uh, missed your first program. All righty. Well, credit damage, I'm going to guess, falls for me, so I'm going to respond. Credit damage deals with the change in our society where people don't really know each other. Neighbors don't really know each other. It used to be in the old days that uh, you would go to the people you grew up with, that your parents knew, that you knew, and they would know your character and either like it or dislike it or trust it or distrust it. Well, those days are pretty much over. And that's what the credit bureaus do. They provide a picture, post, uh, postcard, snapshot, report of your financial life. And that Information has been going on for over 100 years, so this is not a new business. Actually, it's 112 years. No, it's now 116 years because the oldest company in the credit report business right now started in 1899. 
And uh, basically, they create the reputation that lenders or business people uh, and insurance companies and employers look to to decide if you're really the person that you represent yourself to be. And if you are, there's no problems. If you're not, well, there's some problems. That's what employment screening is all about. Well, not everything that goes on a credit report is generated by the person who it's about, although that's the way it's supposed to be. And what happens is if you're in a foreclosure, if you're in a if there are late payments showing up on your credit report, any kind of derogatory, negative, unsavory, unpleasant information, that impacts your ability to get a job, to get uh, financing or a credit card or a mortgage or any of those other wonderful things that we all want. And when that kind of information is placed whether it's appropriately, because sometimes people will be doing their job, but they will be putting in inaccurate information. And that's where Corey sometimes comes in and sometimes where I come in. And my purpose is, and I'll give you an example, if you're in a divorce or you're in an auto accident or you're in a foreclosure situation, things happen that are what we call consequential events that impact your perceived credit worthiness. You're still the person you were, but the picture changes. And my job is to make sure that what's in that credit report, it reflects the real you and not what somebody stuck in there as a consequence of what they wanted to do. And that could be identity theft also, by the way. So when these inappropriate things happen, uh, and I'm going to use the example of a foreclosure. Um, that a foreclosure is a major negative impact on somebody's credit status. And if it goes unchallenged, especially if it was a wrongful foreclosure, uh, there's going to be a lot of long-term suffering. And if it's not challenged, I'm sorry, if it is challenged, there's a possibility that the damage that's been caused by uh, malice, by abuse, by the ordinary course of events can be compensated for because those of us who have lived with credit would like to continue living with credit, and that's what we want. So credit damage is what prevents you from continuing to live the lifestyle that you had especially if you didn't do anything yourself wrong to cause that change. And my specialty is to reorganize the information in a credit damage report, not in a credit report, and put a dollar value on how that inaccurate, misleading, inappropriate, negative derogatory information impacts an individual's life. And that's a very long-winded explanation, but I think it's very detailed. No, that's very nice. Thank you. Uh, Corey, do you have anything to add to that, please? Oh, that was brilliant. That was so well said. You know, George is just fantastic, just brilliant. There's, there's really, you know, two sides of the equation here. Uh, one is George's, you know, evaluation, and, uh, and then what it's like in reality. 
right? It's in reality, we're dealing with things that we don't know the impact of. We really don't know the impact of, and we can certainly share about that uh, as it relates to some of the uh, the listeners that we've worked with. We're walking around thinking that it's okay or this is just acceptable, but we're actually walking around with an enormous potential burden uh, or blinders on. I actually look at it like cataracts. You know, uh, it's we have this 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 inability to see, and we don't even know that we have this inability to see, and there's an impact. And the impact is oftentimes financial. And uh, by being able to address the very things that George is pointing to, you have a whole new level of freedom and power around your credit, your finances, your ability to move and have an impact in the world. All righty. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the types of credit issues you guys work on? For example, divorce, foreclosure, judgments, debt, credit cards, car loans. If it's okay again, uh, uh, Greg, I'm going to jump in and answer that one again, okay? You go for okay. it. Okay. Let's start with a common reality when it comes to divorce. Two people who are getting divorced, at one point we would like to believe they loved each other very much, and at the current point they can't wait to get away from each other, and they do often they do things to harm each other. Uh, that is generally referred to as a contested divorce, and those can get very ugly, very mean, and there are three steps in a contested divorce that always happen, and they are the filing of the divorce, and when that document or petition is filed, the court issues what is called an automatic temporary restraining order, and in that temporary restraining order, the instructions are don't do anything to substantially change the financial picture that you've drawn when you presented this petition because we don't want to try to follow a moving target. Well, what happens is one of the parties will intentionally change the picture. They'll go out and they'll charge things that are, I will call them frivolous, but that's just my word, not anybody else's. They will um, just do everything they can to mess up the smooth completion of the divorce. The second step is... So that's a little bit like uh, pouring salt in the wounds, right? Amen. And it's usually the lower income earner, and 90% of the time that is the woman who gets all pain and the salt burn, okay? The second step is what they call a negotiated settlement agreement. And this is usually done by the lawyers who are representing both parties, each party. And the settlement agreement is affected. And then, again, intentionally or not, somebody doesn't keep their promise. And they either keep, don't keep the promise by design or delight or just inability. Because life is not always predictable. Well, within the framework of a divorce, I mean, you can only imagine. I can say that I've been through that. But I was lucky because I had a partner that had integrity. But um, there are there are situations where, obviously, you made a promise in the marriage that you would never break it up, and now you're breaking that promise. And so it almost becomes a slippery slope for folks to break other promises. It does. And typically what happens is, and this is where the, 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 the damage is multi-part, not just, well... So I broke the agreement. So what? That isn't the way life works financially. 
what happens basically is the most common factor in a divorce is the promise to sell a property or liquidate it or remove somebody from the joint mortgage to a single-payer responsibility mortgage. And usually that can't happen for a number of reasons. And um, the person who needed it to be done has to suffer because it's not done, even though it was part of the agreement. And the court can order, uh, we'll call it increased uh, compliance, but basically the sense of cooperation is rarely there. And when that doesn't happen, the lower wage earner suffers all kinds of problems. They may suffer, well, one of the losses that will be definitely suffered <laughs> is credit score erosion, which can lead to loss of employment. And so now you're a single household, single income household, with no way to make a living. Isn't that a funny position? So my credit damage impacts all of this because I am able to and have many times provided a valuation of the economic impact, the damage, the loss of income, the loss of income opportunities, the loss of uh, refinancing uh, potential so that uh, there is a way to recover those damages, not to make anybody rich, but to make their life whole again so that they're not always on the short end of the stick, so to speak. It's almost like begging for a rescission so that everybody can be put back to their original status or at least a stable status so that they can go on with their life. That's the whole point. Exactly right. And that's what happens in a divorce for credit damage. If you're in a car accident, whether it's your fault or not, and it's serious enough to the point where you have been unable to work for 60, 90 days or more, your income has probably gone down as a result of not working because no insurance pays you at 100% of what you were earning. And so when that happens, bills, all the bills cannot be paid. And when all the bills are not paid, that causes credit damage. And my job is to take the, what the impact is on the credit worthiness of the individual, their reputation, and put a dollar value on it. And I have uh, special techniques to do that procedures uh, to allow for that that are accepted by the court uh, 99% of the time. And uh, so that the person who collects whatever they collect really covers them. I have several articles that have been published to help lawyers understand that credit damage compensation will not change the amount of the other compensations. They will simply expand so that the compensation can be what is intended by the law to make the person whole again. And it's not uh, anything other than an organized way of putting a value on those economic damages. The third and most listener, I believe your listening audience, uh, interest is mortgages. When the, when it hit the fan in 2006, 2008, and by the way, I, I believe it's going to hit again in about 18 months. A lot of people were cheated. I guess cheated is the most polite word I can think of. 
out of what they had been paying for. Now, there were some people who couldn't pay, and that is a whole set of different set of circumstances and a whole different set of remedies, and we don't want to split hairs. But if I run into cases all the time of people who were misled, misguided, and otherwise not shown fair treatment um, as relates to their mortgage. And I'm happy to report that in the last three years, that whole picture has changed. People right now, mortgage homeowners or former homeowners, now have the best possibility of not only getting a new home, but getting compensated for how they were treated or mistreated regarding the home that they were living in at the time. And I recently was in a case in New Mexico where the homeowner had just been bamboozled, mistreated, lied to, chuck and jive by the lender, not even the lender representative, but by the lender themselves to the point where she not only got um, her home back, she got several hundred thousand dollars to compensate her for the damage done to her credit. And she didn't have great credit to begin with, but she had enough credit to make her life more pleasant, and now she has that level of credit again. That's very interesting. Um, is there a possibility that uh, it's the application of FDCPA, uh, Taylor, oh, yeah. and other federal rules and statutes um, that come into play in order to uh, allow folks to make those claims and put those pleadings yes, and there, in? Yeah. And there are new laws or new policies, if you will, by the judiciary uh, that have come into play. Uh, most people are not aware of this, and I am going to offer, I'm probably getting a little ahead of myself, but um, I'm going to offer your listeners who care, they'll have to write in to you with their email address. And I have an article that I find is very eye-opening as to how the judiciary has changed its treatment of consumers in relation to the, to the lenders and how the lenders are paying millions and, and in some cases bordering on billions of dollars uh, in penalties for misbehavior, whereas 10 years ago it would have just been, suck it up, you're wrong. Now the consumer is being recognized as being a, generally being a trustworthy uh, individual, whether it's a family or, or a single person, but uh, who deserves courtesy and who deserves fair treatment. That wasn't true 10 years ago, uh, uh, maybe eight years ago. Uh, one of the uh, things that happened frequently is that the presumption was if you signed the mortgage and you didn't pay the mortgage, the consumer was wrong. It was that simple. It was that cut and dried. Did you sign the document? Yes. Did you know what you were signing? Yes. Did you make the mortgage payment? No. You're guilty. Goodbye. There was no consideration that the banks were, and I'm saying banks, I mean any lender, uh, had stacked the deck in their own favor. There was no, uh, um, there was no homeowner's bill of rights, which there is now. There was no, uh, uh, recognition that maybe the banks, and again I use the word banks 
for any lending institution for uh, related to mortgages. But uh, they would assume that they were saints. Well, we find out that they're not saints. Let's talk about robo-signing. Let's talk about even fraudulent signing of uh, documents, uh, people who had no idea what they were signing. And I have a whole detailed um, review of that on a year-by-year basis. And in the last four or five years, one of the major victories for the consumer is consumers now have the legal right authorization to sue a lender directly, whereas eight or ten years ago, you had to go to your local federal office to sue a lender. Well, how many federal offices are going to greet you with open arms to do that? Well, George, is that a uh, is that a coast to coast policy or is that a specific California policy right now? As far as I know, it's uh, sporadic but spreading. I know that there's been some good work done in Florida, Washington yep. State, yep. Oregon, uh, California, Ohio, I believe. Um, right. There was even a, a minor victory in a circuit appellate court in Illinois, believe it or not. But it was very narrow, but nonetheless. One of the things that uh, a lot of folks are starting to understand is that there are some very specific terms that have some very specific meanings. And in the past, homeowners, lawyers, and judges have viewed them all as synonyms for the same thing. But in fact, when it comes to contracts and the banking system, they actually have their own definitions. For example, an originator is not necessarily a lender. Right. But but they're on a contract, and you're making a promise with a particular originator that is promising to lend you money, but then it turns out that they don't lend you any money, and somebody else's that you have no idea, and it's a table-funded deal, which is predatory per se, according to federal law, and right. not, allow- not allowable, but you got you got hooked into this deal because a bunch of folks, you know, back in the 90s and early 2000s concocted this whole framework of uh, derivatives and everything else that they were doing. And uh, I can't tell, I can't speak to these things specifically as an expert. I can say that I've studied and read a lot. And it's quite amazing that it almost seems like there's a body of, or a body or organization of people somewhere in the middle that have lured investors into putting their money into things that have no security and homeowners on the bottom end of the thing to believe that they're getting a loan when they never did. And it almost seems like there's thieves in the middle. So it's like, uh, it's almost like if you got the chickens on the left side and the guard dogs on the right side and the foxes are running down the middle ripping off both yep. but that's just kind of how I'm reading it um, so from your perspective what do you know how to do to help mend that horrible fence what I know how to do is and I'm going to use California law because it's number one to be clear to anybody who's listening I am not a lawyer Okay, I'm a credit damage expert which is a lot different than a lawyer and so the, the rules that I'm the most familiar with are California rules. But again, I'm not a lawyer. What I do know is that in California, the, the authority for what I do 
is something called CCP 3333, which basically says that the damage can be measured. Actually, I'm paraphrasing it. But if the damage, can, the economic damage can be measured reliably, it can be compensated for. It can't, must or it should be compensated for. And that's a rule that may be codified in California under those numbers. But I don't think there's a state in the union that says, uh, well, we don't care if you were harmed. We just want to continue doing what we're doing and milking you as much as we can. That's not what our judiciary, the, the plaintiff's lawyers anyway, really want. Now, I don't mean to contradict you, but I happen to have read um, yeah. the Illinois, in Illinois and the statutes in Illinois, the legislature said, we really don't care if there's a table-funded loan, whatever, it's fine. Just you have to disclose that it is. But the federal government, who controls the banking system, Right. So, absolutely not. It's predatory and it's illegal. So, yep. so you've got this conflict of of jurisdiction and law between the federal government, who actually is responsible for the banking system, and then a state legislature that just goes and passes a regulation, you know, because it felt like it or because the lobbyists helped them think that way. I'm not sure. But, no, it um, is. <laughs> and, and, and so you've got... It's almost like uh, the old uh, joke of fifty-two card pickup. Yeah, uh, you know, every if, if anybody in the call doesn't know what that means, uh, when we were in grade school and high school, you know, some friend of ours would be sitting there with a deck of cards. He goes, "Hey, you want to play cards? What is that? Oh, yeah, fifty-two card pickup. Well, how does that work?" And they would just throw them all up in the air, and you'd have to go pick up all the cards, you know. <laughs> and uh, it was a sad joke on you, but you know. You know, it's like fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you, or vice yeah. versa. Um, anyway, um, this is all really great stuff. I'm looking at the clock and uh, realizing we have to keep moving. So, Corey or George, can can you guys really make things that have happened in the past literally go away or disappear? Better than that, okay. And I'm going to speak to my perspective on credit reports. All right. Corey's is not contradictory to mine, but not identical to mine, all right? All right. The, the FCRA says you can only put things on a credit report that are true, and there's a phrase that they use. It must be true, and it must be something else. Anyway, the point is it must be true. And many of the things that happen in a mortgage or divorce situation are not true. Uh, particularly when it comes to late mortgage payments. Now, there is an opportunity frequently to include mitigation in the settlement of a mortgage dispute, and that will change. The only people who can truly impact what appears in the credit report is the person who controls the account, and I'm going to call that the account grantor. So if you have a loan with uh, XYZ, whatever, credit card company or whoever, they are the only ones who can, by law, change it. And as a matter of clarification, even the credit bureaus cannot change them because the credit bureau, by its own policy, is an echo of what's provided. 
the only time they get involved in content is when there is a dispute as to the content. Is it true? Is it verifiable? Did it really happen? Was there really a late pay? Is that a bookkeeping error? Is it a calendar error? Is it a policy error? And by making that the rule, it's more important to get the, I, I call them defendants, okay, because that's usually what they are in these matters. Uh, it's a matter of getting them to change the content, not asking the bureaus to do it. And I see this all the time. I see that there's a settlement agreement <laughs> between both parties, and the lawyer says, and you will get the credit bureau to amend the <laughs> content to reflect what we've just agreed. And I think in less than 5% of the cases does it happen. But if you go about it the other way and have the issuing responsible party correct it, it'll get done and it can get done in a matter of minutes. So the uh, credit reporting agency performs a neutral function uh, for the financing world similar to what your county recorder's office does for real property, where they're the location that things get publicly posted, but there's no county recorder that just goes and records their own stuff on your property. Absolutely correct. The only difference is that the credit bureaus are responsible if there's a dispute. They don't do a very good job, in my experience, of honoring that responsibility, but they are responsible for it. Are, Are you saying that the credit bureaus are supposed to not only be the recorders, but also the arbitrators? Not arbitrators, accuracy. If an item is disputed, it's their responsibility to verify that which side of the dispute is correct. And how can they uh, verify that since they have no first-hand knowledge? I wouldn't understand they, how they do that. I can defer to Corey, or I can answer it myself based on my experience. Corey, what do you want to do? Yeah, I think that uh, why, why don't you share on your knowledge about what uh, what the bureaus in your experience do? Well, what, what's happened is the bureaus have set up a computerized dispute system. And they have just arbitrarily made it the only way that they will respond to a dispute of of information or remarks in a credit report. It's not mandated by law. Uh, There is no uh, authorization for them to do it. They just decided to do it. So they do it. And it's a very casual system. The Bureau will send an electronic uh, verification request to the disputed account issuer, and uh, the, what typically happens is the $10 an hour clerk will look at the screen and say, yep, my computer says that that's what it is, and not, we believe it. That's not verification of a dispute. And many law uh, suits were and are still active because of the, what I will call the casual, non-verification nature of that procedure. Yeah, very good. Yeah, it. Uh, in my experience, once you look at, to accelerate a request at the bureaus, uh, because there are, you can make accelerated requests. For example, there's all types of rules and regs around uh, how a credit agency will actually confirm or deny something, and it is extremely casual. Um, in my experience, just very recently, uh, in looking to delete 
a uh, a series of late payments off of a um, off of credit reports for a client. I for TransUnion, TransUnion attempted to reach the creditor three times on three separate occasions, and after the third attempt, they said they don't do any more. They won't do it again. Now, um, they would not allow me to be on the phone call with them to confirm it. They would not allow me to create a bridge line between the creditor and TransUnion. That was not allowed, uh, nor was it allowed on Experian. It was allowed on Equifax. Uh, so they, there are rules and regs, you know, uh, based upon each individual bureau's approach towards this as well. So the what you're magnifying is where do you want to focus your energy? Do you want to have the credit bureaus look to uh, solve a credit problem when they have no vested interest in something? They're going to try three attempts and they're going to give up. They're going to waste 30 to 60 days without batting an eye, and you're going to end up in the same place with where you started. And so that's why the credit bureaus are the, I look at them as the referee of the game, uh, that actually have, uh, they, or I should say, they report. They're the announcer of the game. They report on the game. They, they do have an influence over the game, but ultimately the game is between the consumer and the credit grantor. And okay. if you can, if mm-hmm. you can impact the grantor's view of it in many different ways, now you have an opportunity to make a credit correction that's permanent. The thing that really, uh, Begs a question here, I think, is it's like, uh, let's use um, Walmart and Sam's Club as a metaphor just to have something folks can wrap their heads on. Um, If I don't join Sam's Club, I can't be held accountable to the rules and regulations of Sam's Club. I can go in there as a guest, or I can go into Walmart, a sister company, and buy things and do things. But, you know, if they had a rule or regulation that all of their decisions were binding and uh, without arbitration and you couldn't argue them, well, only by being a member where you're trading off um, probably a discount uh, for your membership, where you're trading off your rights for a discount, um, could you be held to a contract? Now, I don't remember ever entering into a contract with any of the credit bureaus. I don't think anybody I know in America has. No, they why, should their, why should their decisions be binding or controlling on our lives if we never agreed to have them be binding or controlling on our lives? That's, I mean, that's a contractual question. What do you think? I think if I can jump in here for just a second, (laughs) that consumers never had contracts with bureaus. Never. The Bureau absolutely does not want anything to do with consumers that they can avoid. Okay? What they do with their credit reports is they hire or contract with distributors to sell credit reports to lenders uh, and other subscribers to sell subscriptions to to the appropriate parties and they have in the last just about 20 years now um, 1992 or 1994 was the year so more than 20 years uh, they discovered that the free credit report could be a gold mine for them but they didn't want to have anything to do with the selling of it 
So what they did is they licensed it to promoters. And I want to be clear that the credit bureaus do not want anything to If it wasn't for the legal requirement of some federally imposed responsibility uh, in terms of the uh, content of a credit report, bureaus would have nothing to do with the consumer. Uh, the closest they would, they would get would be through a totally separate company that they don't own and that has followed a similar uh, attitude uh, to consumers, and that's the credit report, um, credit score company. The credit score companies, until again about 20 years ago, wanted nothing to do with consumers. Consumers are a necessary evil uh, because they're time-consuming and they raise expenses. Subscribers don't do that very often. Because if they do that, you just cut them loose. And uh, it's your analogy, I think, is a little off the mark. That's the point I'm trying to make, by the way. All right. Um, I'm looking at the clock here and realizing we have to really get going here. So I think that this whole aspect of the conversation could become a whole program on its own. So <laughs> yes. I, I appreciate... Uh, your insight and your and your experience in answering those things. Um, as some of the folks in the audience might remember, uh, you guys offered to do free credit reports or free uh, credit damage reports for a handful of our listeners that answered you by email. Um, that was back, I think, in February. Could you tell us how those experiences went and any other results? I think that was part of what we'd like to talk about tonight. Good. Yeah, very good. Corey, um, your, your microphone. Okay, great. Well, as I said earlier, uh, I really got an opportunity. Both George and I got a, a great opportunity to get a sense as to who your listeners are. And uh, brilliant, intelligent people and uh, extremely committed to their results, uh, first and foremost. Both George and I, uh, I gave away a... Um, uh, credit evaluation. We pulled a copy of our credit report, and um, and we pulled a number of credit reports for people. And hopefully, some of those people are on the line, and maybe they'd like to share uh, and uh, what their experience was. Uh, in uh, I'll share uh, a couple of cases. The first case. Oh. Well, let me just jump in. If there is anybody on the line who did work with you and did that stuff, uh, just press star eight on your phone, and I can see it on the board. And I can bring you in for a back and forth. Okay, we have someone who's just guest 10 in uh, North Carolina. So, hello, guest 10. Hi, you have Marilyn. Hi. Hi, Greg. This is Debbie. Oh, hi, Debbie. Um, uh, you're live with uh, with uh, hey, Corey and George. Yes. You want me to hi. answer first? Or you want to talk you, you raised your hand first, so uh, I guess. Okay, we'll, well, I was um, surprised, and I have to admit that um, when Corey asked me, he said, um, "What is your goal, and and what would you like to see happen?" And I said, "Truth of the matter is, I um, don't know enough about it." And as he commented in the last time he was on, he said that the way they do the annual reports is like back in the '70s, as opposed to the tri merger that he did he does this time. So um, I had to be a good listener and um, come in on this um, with an open ear and listening, and so that's that's how I 
positioned myself, and I was surprised. What did you learn? I learned that where I thought that my um, scores were impacted by um, different kinds of identity theft and or all this mortgage stuff, that they weren't like what I thought. And I'm not sure why that is, uh, or if it's because I send out QWRs and I tell them if they affect my credit, you know, I'm going to sue them and all that. But whatever the case, it was um, 200 points or 220 points higher than what I thought. And then Corey gave me suggestions. So, Uh, How did you feel after our talk? Um, I felt like um, a burden lifted because... Not only did was my score higher, but I think that I had more understanding uh, as to what I was looking for. And then I could say and answer your question as to what what did I anticipate, what would I like to see happen. And it just gave me more freedom to know that I had more room than what I thought I had. And so in the future, if I need to get a car or do something with a house or whatever, that I have the freedom to do that. Yeah. That's so great. And I think that, thank you, Deb, for sharing that and for being available for the call. Um, you know, I think that is a common, was a common theme in the other calls that I had is that we all get so immersed in our own stuff that it's so very, you know, we're in our, in our own fish, fish bubble, <laughs> our own bubble and the fish bowl. <laughs> and, uh, and it becomes very difficult to see outside of it. And so having a third eye. Uh, be able to properly evaluate what's really happening is so critical, you know, uh, and to find people that are, you know, are really committed to make a difference like, you know, Greg, you certainly are for what you're doing, and both George and I are uh, very much as well. We love making a difference for people, and having you get an experience that you're, you're in a far better place than you ever imagined gives you a sense of you can go out and get lines of credit. You can go out and do what you need to do with your property. And what was the suggestion? We, we had a long conversation about what to do next. Um, one of the suggestions was to um, call a title company and ask for an ALTA policy, even though that's not what I was going to get, but just to ask them and to get them to um, actually pull the first page of um, – your document to find out if there's any liens on your property, and if not, you said I would sell it. <laughs> uh, what I said was pull a uh, copy of a title commitment on your property. Yeah. You know, you could do a track lien judgment search, or you can do a track search at uh, Chicago Title and Trust. You can call independent companies, maybe seventy-five dollars. Do a research on it, and if it's clean, buy the policy. Spend a couple of thousand dollars, buy the policy, and then you have that policy in your back pocket. And if it ever gets to a point where they're going to litigate, you're out of it. You own that home. It's free and clear. Sell it. Be done with it. Get the half a million bucks, a quarter million, million dollars, whatever it may be. Get out. Be done with it. And say, screw you to the bank. And the insurance company is on the hook for the money. And you did absolutely nothing wrong. That's almost like playing the same game that the bankers play. 100%. Yep. It's all about turning the tables the right, right. legitimate way. About having your own, owning your own power. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, that was okay. inspiring. But because we're getting close to an hour here. Um, wow. Uh, Deb, I'm going to uh, mute Go you ahead. and go over to North Carolina, but uh, please stay with us. Hi, North Carolina. Who's this, please? 
Hello. <laughs> Hi. Hi, guys. Hey, Corey. Hi, yeah. Good. How you doing, darling? You guys are terrific, I'll tell you. Doing great. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sorry, I didn't hear your name. Uh, well. Is this Papergate? Yes, it is. All right. Like Watergate. Like, Anyhow, uh, what Corey uh, pulled up, I, you know, ditto um, on what um, the lady that just was on um, had said. I was like, Corey, are you sure? Um, you know, like, go do it again. I don't think it's correct. But, um, yeah, it was the same results. Um, I literally was, was shocked, um, and I'm not normally, normally shocked. Um, but the concern I had was um, in George's camp, you know, I definitely wanted to lay down issues of, of you know the credit uh, destruction and everything else because I had excellent credit with stellar credit payment history, and um, like a lot of other people, which Corey and I talked about, millions of people went into the federal forum under 11 USC to file a petition to basically ferret out who were the undisclosed you know secret parties behind the transaction which meant that when you filed the petition, you lost all your excellent credit, regardless of how excellent you were or whether you paid everything on time or anything because of, of the procedures of the companies and, the, you know, the, the banks and stuff. And one of the things that I noticed is that you lose all that excellent credit, but then you also have this major dinger of, of the, uh, the filing, the BK filing, which stays there for 10 years. And I thought, you know. No, that's not true. Oh, it's not. No, it's in the public record for ten years, and you, but you can refile a new bankruptcy in seven years, actually six point nine years. Uh, but the the information regarding public records is there only on a voluntary basis. It is not a mandatory part of a credit report. So if you file it's because it's not a credit account. Okay, so if you file for purposes solely as a litigation tool, so to speak, I don't want to say that, but that's you know, kind of situation. Yeah. Is there anything that you can maybe move, um, you know, for a court to request that the reporting be removed? I mean, is there any any kind of, you know, well, arguments? In my experience kind of- with the credit bureaus, they normally do not keep. They're allowed to, but they normally do not keep bankruptcies on a credit report over seven years because it takes up space and they're very space sensitive. So, and okay. most, most credit transactions only look at a seven-year history. Okay, so with that being said, that seven years of, you know, what, <laughs> things I know became, you know, closed, 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 but there was, was decades of excellent, well, it's only a decade long they stay on, but I had decades of, of excellent stellar credit history payments. Well, and frankly, when you file for bankruptcy, you lose all that. Right, you lose all that. But I, but I yeah. didn't need to, you know, I was filed because of ferreting out who in the world was behind the transaction. And the the reason I wanted to come into your camp was because there was a heck of a lot of damage because one day I had all this excellent open lines of credit, purchasing power and everything else. And in 24 hours, it was like, psh- you know, I lost it all just because I had to figure out who in the world. And I was trying to pay off the loan. I wasn't trying to, you know, strategically default. I was trying to pay it off. I was selling property to sell it, pay it off, but we didn't know who in the world the lender was. 
So, you know, it wasn't even filed. It was, and plus there was a TILA rescission. So it was, it's all typical monkey business on their part. But, yep. you know, as far as all that, those years of history that's lost, that's a damage. Well, Absolutely. no. When you, when you file a bankruptcy, you are asking the court to take over all your bills and the creditors are not allowed to contact you anymore and the creditors are not allowed to show your credit history. That's part of the transaction of transferring it to the court. That's part of the deal. The question I have, okay, and why I responded absolutely and George said the opposite is, did you, I mean, with your impeccable credit history, did you opt to make payments outside? Do you file a 7 or 13? What was the 7? Um, I just did it just to do a hurry up and let's find out who's behind this transaction bit. I mean, I even paid the loan on the, you know, the month that I filed the, the petition. Got it. Did you reaffirm uh, the debt? No, nobody ever came forth. The, the, the recited lender was a non-existent legal fiction. They didn't. It ended up, we just found out um, three weeks ago, that the entire time it was Fannie Mae. Fannie okay. Mae had purchased it a couple days after the paperwork was signed, but they were never disclosed. We had no clue whatsoever that Fannie Mae was involved. And I think, Corey, we discussed this. I, nothing was said about Fannie Mae, was it? No. No, because Fannie Mae wasn't, wasn't, even, a, wasn't even in the picture. No, the, uh, the that best way to identify... That was covered by accident. Yeah, I, I found the best way to identify where your note is at is if you, depending upon what state you're in, if you, you know, um, you know in California it's different because you don't, you don't see a lender. You're not there with them at closing. All you've got is you, you nothing. You have a notary. In the you know further east, of course, you have a notary. Plus, you have a title company, uh, escrow, and you know you have a closing table. And the original note is oftentimes a great, the, the very first place to begin. But then it gets if it's not pre-sold already, uh, it will be sold in all likelihood shortly. That's how it was then. So the the game of following the paper or following the the, the ownership of the note is what you were what you were dealing with. Uh, and in why you f- took a legal action, why you filed bankruptcy to find out who that lender was, and it took how many years to to get the answer that uh, Fannie Mae was involved? Uh, just a month ago, nine years, eight, almost nine years. It'd be nine years in June. And what did you do with that information? Well, uh, well, I can't talk about it on the radio show, but what okay. the information of discovering about Fannie Mae? Yeah. Oh, it just changed the entire legal you know, battleground uh, map on the table, so to speak. Strategy's completely just taken a complete, you know, turn in the opposite direction because now I've got to go back and re-strategize all the way back uh, to the beginning because Fannie Mae changed the whole, uh, you know, whole whole, whole scene, whole horizon's changed. I can imagine how that effect, right? Yeah. yeah, hey, uh, yeah. Everybody, um, uh, we're a little bit over our... Yeah, but I'll let other people talk. Anyhow, it was excellent, Corey. George, I think your service should be definitely, um, people should be taking advantage of it, absolutely. Good. Well, okay, and I'm a legal professional, so I say that, you know, with all sincere, um, you know, regards, and I'm not being paid to say this. So, okay, talk to you guys later, and good luck, Thanks. and thank you, Greg. Corey and George, bye. Well, bye. We'll take bye. a short break. We'll uh, take a short break right now, and uh, if you guys are willing to, uh, after the break, uh, we'll open it back up for more questions. Uh, that sure. sound good? 
Yeah. Okay. So uh, we'll be back here in a couple minutes. Everybody, take an opportunity to refresh yourselves and uh, frame your questions for uh, George and Corey after we come back after the break. Thanks. Welcome to the Gallant Goose and Friends, a weekly production of the Gallant Goose Radio Network, airing live from coast to coast and around the world on Thursday nights at 6:45 Eastern here on TalkShoe.com. Program number one three nine three three five. This is your MC and musical tour guide, Big Papa Stanley, reminding y'all when it comes to saving your house. Don't let the bank of blues stop you from getting all your clues. The primary focus of this interactive program is to discuss mortgage foreclosure defense and attack strategies and related homeowner issues with our guests and callers. We come to you from the birthplace of the American Bar Association and the home of Abraham Lincoln, Al Capone, the Untouchables, and Operation Greylord where the motto is, vote early, vote often, and according to some politicians, even when you're dead. Here you'll find general information about home loans and ownership, notes and mortgages, as well as pointers on lenders, banks, funding, securitization, regulations, titles, credit damage, and more, plus different forms of resolution when things go wrong between homeowners and lenders including RESPA, FDCPA, and Tiller Rescission. With the help of our guests, we'll try and find general answers to your questions on these and other popular topics. Now please remember, this program is for general information only. No official advice regarding accounting, law, taxes, or other regulated services given here. If you need a lawyer or accountant, please hire one authorized to work in your state. We thank y'all for being here tonight. Let's try and help each other. Welcome back, everybody. This is Greg the Goose. We have Corey Goldstein and uh, George Finder uh, on the call with us this evening. If you're all just tuning in right now, a reminder to our callers, if you want to ask a question, press star 8 on the phone to raise your hand and be placed into the queue. When you're unmuted, please say your name, where you're calling from, who you'd like to ask the question to, and what your question is. If you have a noisy background, you can always knit yourself out after you ask your question by pressing star six on the phone. And if you are only on the chat board, we will do our best to read your questions into the call so that uh, we can share those with the rest of the group. When everybody wakes up and learns what's really going on, I think that the world might be a different place. Has to be. Has to be. All right. Uh, who would like to raise their hand and ask a question? I'd like to uh, share something in, uh, as we wait for a question. Uh, I forwarded you this uh, email just a moment ago uh, from a gentleman who's been on the call uh, in the past, and he says, uh, Corey, I will not be able to make it on tonight's call. 
but I just want you to know you produce phenomenal results for me. Um, you recommend me services and things like that. Uh, he says, um, anyway, he, he discusses my approach and how it's different in the process and things like that. And he says, feel free to chat me up. His name is Gary S. Uh, and he's in uh, Arizona. And the reason why I'm mentioning is that I don't, not only did I forward you, Greg, that, that email, Gary's wife was listening to the show, wonderful lady, super bright. Uh, and uh, Gary said, I am in the middle of a real estate transaction and I can't qualify. And um, my wife said uh, she was listening to the last show, uh, the first show that both George and I were on, and uh, and she said it would make sense maybe for me to talk with you about it. Anyway, the transaction he was involved in, and and uh, we've been able to bring up his credit scores in just about about a month. I think he's up almost 80 points, uh, and his mid score was that he's in the middle of an 18 million dollar real estate purchase. Uh, which is a purchasing a large uh, piece of property and um, in his home state, and it's multi-unit, and he couldn't qualify. And so to be able to impact somebody's financial future <clears throat> in such a short period of time to give them freedom and power is, is really, in my view of life, there's kind of nothing better than that, uh, whether it was, you know, uh, uh, Papergate who called in or Deb that called in, you know, uh, or the other people that George had an opportunity to speak with. We're all about empowering, and you are as well, Greg, all about empowering and enabling people and what matters to them, right, uh, regardless of what it is. And in this case, it's an area of real estate, it's an area of their credit, it's an area of their finances, and, uh, you know, and, and the ability to actually have power and clarity as to how to deal with financial institutions. And so now Gary S. has a new sense of power, and, and I'm so happy to be able to provide that to him. I'm, I'm so happy for him that he now has, you know, a credit score consistent with who he is. So good on you, Gary, when you listen to this. All righty. Hopefully, hopefully he'll be able to uh, uh, log in and listen to the recording. Well, anyway, getting back to more general things, um, do either of you guys work with the credit reporting agencies directly, or do you just go after the alleged creditors? I don't work with the credit bureaus um, because it's just not appropriate. The only uh, relationship I had with them was uh, about five, maybe eight years ago, I was testifying against the bureaus for some violations of the FCRA, and my testimony, along with several other people, cost the credit bureaus $115 million. And ever since then, I've stayed away from them. <laughs> no, I'm going to stay away from you. <laughs> uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that was a very interesting case that George was involved with. I actually do speak to the credit bureaus. You know, the um, uh, if you know the phone number, for example... To Experian, what do you think the phone number to Experian is? Just off the top of your head. Credit. One, well, it's actually, one, one would think that it's maybe 1-800-Experian. But it's not. It's not. It's 1-888-Experian. So I used to own a piece of the phone number of 1-800-Experian. And, uh, oh. and we were getting in about 22,000 calls a day into my call center. Wow. And now this is going back about six years. And 
the calls that came in were just, you know, they thought that they were reaching the credit bureaus because we own that phone number, and uh, they weren't. And they were upset, frustrated, disappointed, angry, pissed off, furious, aggravated, and trying to reach somebody to solve a credit problem. Now, <laughs> we only, I only owned one-sixth of that phone call traffic. So my office at the time was getting in about 3,000 calls a day into my call center. I had an 18-person call center in San Diego, and we were answering these calls and looking to convert them into something, and it was it just didn't it just didn't materialize. It wasn't a good business model because people were already upset. So you imagine having an organization that's getting in 20-plus thousand calls a day uh, that are all disappointed and upset. How could you possibly make a difference? Well, I figured it out. And here's how I deal with the credit bureaus. And it's not by calling them directly. It's by calling their secret back-end phone numbers. Ah. Okay? So there's a if you want, you can email Greg, say, give me, Corey, send me the secret back-end phone numbers because I want to dispute something myself. Here's the benefit of having these back-end phone numbers. Number one, if you dispute something, <clears throat> pardon me, if you dispute something in the mail, you send something in, you're going to respond with something like, this is not mine, I was never late. Um, this is not my account, this doesn't belong in my account, I never knew this account, this account's not, you know, whatever, it's a paid account, it was never went to collection. The myriad of potential um, excuses. You know, excuses, exactly, that you can come up with uh, that, that are approved, approved excuses uh, by the credit bureau, because if you send them an excuse that's not approved, it's going to be denied. And, uh, and even and even a substantial percentage of the uh, credit bureau disputes are denied. Uh, but by being able to go through the back end by actually calling a person, uh, you can uh, you can actually cut out substantial time delays. So most why credit repair fails in general uh, is because you're just ultimately confirming derogatory information. Uh, you know, you go to Wells Fargo, for example, and you say this information's not mine. They'll say, well, we'll dispute it for you. Why would you do that? You're going to actually confirm the negative information. doesn't make sense. So if you're interested in, you know, disputing information on your report, if every human being has every single right to do that, if you have the right to dispute it, I can provide you the back-end phone numbers where you can call Experian, Equifax, TransUnion, Advantage, and the other five other credit bureaus. It doesn't even matter because they're too small. You can actually... Uh, instead of waiting 30 to 45 days, you can get results in about 18 to 21 days. So, and the people answer the phone are really nice, and they really want to help, and they will dispute everything for you, but you have to call three bureaus, and that'll take you probably an hour to do to accomplish. So that's the Not only time I would ever deal with the bureau. George, uh, in previous things that you've written, you talk about yeah. this, these 14 possible causes of action associated with credit damage. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, do you have them written down? Do you have them memorized? Do you want to just read them off? I have, I, well, yes and no. I, do, I have them memorized, but I have the world's second worst memory. And that's only because I can't remember who has the worst memory, okay? <laughs> um, the, let, let me answer your question in some detail. Uh, there are somewhere between 12 and 18, believe it or not, causes of action that are, I'm going to call it eligible or qualified for credit damage compensation. But let me tell you what is more important than the actual titles, and I will give you some of them. 
any litigation, and that's the key word here, litigation, not civil tort, not uh, family law, not any of that kind of stuff, <clears throat> any litigation which can be resolved and is expect, expected to be resolved by the writing of a check by someone probably qualifies as a credit reputation damage case because all I'm about is getting people who were hurt paid. In 2000, I think, nine, uh, I expanded the list, which is the reason I'm not giving you a, an extensive list. I, expect, I expanded the list to include um, compensation for property condemnation and construction defects. Up until I was involved in a case, it was uh, kind of an interesting case. It was a 400-unit apartment development that was being converted into condos. And the people who were getting into it were underfinanced or underprepared, and they could not complete the conversion. And there were about they had sold about 40 units, and the ones that they hadn't sold were maintained as apartments, so the company had some cash flow. The upshot is that there were construction defects in the this particular unit, uh, and most of them were quadra, uh, four-part units, quad units, and the water damage caused by the improper uh, uh, construction forced uh, people to move out because of mold, and there were families involved, and there were single individuals involved, and there were all sorts of levels of damage. One um, single mother uh, with three children, she was a widow, uh, had to move out, uh, had to get all new clothes for her kids, had to get just totally rearrange her life. And she was able to document that she had uh, suffered increased out-of-pocket costs by having to pay double mortgages, uh, and by having to uh, uh, totally reinvent her her life, she had uh, um, a new residence that she had to pay for, and all the furnishings she had to pay for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And she indicated that she had spent approximately two hundred thousand uh, dollars over a six or seven month period. Much of it in, in credit. Uh, the closer she got to uh, the, the case being resolved. Um, the deeper the the problem was because she was running out of credit to the point where she couldn't keep the payments of up, and so she was having cards canceled. So it got to be a rather complicated case. The uh, In that particular case, no one had ever gotten an award up till that point for uh, construction defect issues and credit damage. Well, out of the 40 units that had been converted, four of the people wound up becoming clients of mine. The Of the uh, four, uh, three had legitimate claims, and the fourth didn't. Uh, so we just kind of pulled them out of the game. But of the one that, uh, other than that one, my, and I did individual uh, valuations for each of the parties, and the valuations ranged from, um, the mid five figures to the high to the mid six figures to uh, well low six figures I guess uh, it was about three hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the the mother 
And uh, basically, the and this had to go to arbitration, which is a whole other topic we could go to someday. Um, they couldn't do anything except go to arbitration. They were uh, prohibited by pursuing uh, directly. And uh, the upshot is the arbitrator had never seen a report like I had prepared and literally didn't know what to do with it. But he saw that there was a well-thought-out, well-documented, uh, I'll try not to make this too much of a slap on my own back, um, but he basically said there is definitely a damage here. Uh, and he basically took all of the da- damage claims and he averaged them out to about $75,000. Now, since no one had ever collected on that, this was a landmark decision. So if you'd asked me this question at an earlier time or a different time, I would not have included that. But since I've been able to get that ruling, other rulings have come in. I've gotten identity theft rulings. Uh, most people don't realize that when you go to a um, government recovery program, you don't get any money. All the money that's recovered goes to the program. If you join, I think it's called LifeLock, and they tell you, we'll spend a million dollars to, to <laughs> find out you screwed your credit up. None of that money goes to the, to the, to the victim. When I did my case, uh, the money went directly to the victim. And I think that's a huge difference that most people are not aware of. George, it sounds the same as, uh, you know, some of these uh, major banks being tagged with an eight and a half million, eight and a half billion dollar penalty from the government, and none of the people that they tortured and and screwed got a penny out of it, unless you want to just believe that we're just this one giant communistic uh, society, and if the government gets the money, we get the money. No, but, I don't um, believe that at all. I think that's what the government believes. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. You know, you got paid because we got paid, and after all, you put us here, so that means you got paid, right? Right, sure. Everybody just keeps bobbing their head, then they just go along with it. But there's trillions of dollars in penalties since 2008 that the government has extracted in these settlements from all these banks where the people haven't seen a damn penny. No, absolutely correct. Nothing. And where did it go? It went off to pay off the interest to the Federal Reserve for them printing money. Or something, or some how, black budget. How about bonuses? I have no how idea. Bonuses? How many bullets have we paid? How many airplanes that we don't need have been bought with that? Um, I digress. I'm sorry to do that, but right. Um, well, you know, again, that's a. That, you know what? Let's. Everybody should. You know, you should hang up at the end of the call and go to dial into Angela's call. Um, at the end of this one, Angela Stark has got this really great open-ended call where, you know, they deal with everything from a proton to Pluto. And, mm. you know, that would be a great forum for something like that. But, well, uh, to get back to the question that you asked me is how many kinds of actions uh, can uh, credit damage be yes. involved with? Yeah, there are you. about twelve. So, so the, the top three are personal injury cases, um, uh, wrongful dismissal, employment law, um, mortgage violations or lender violations, which are the broader category, and uh, divorce and fraud. 
the number one type of case that I get involved with is some sort of fraud, which when I, I did a study of my cases a few years ago, it really surprised me that that was my number one category, fraud, just basic out-and-out fraud. But come on, George, aren't there five essential pillars to prove fraud? And if you don't do them all, you don't get it. Well, but wait a minute. My job has nothing to do with proving fraud. Nothing. My job is to put a value on what is alleged with a damage. And until the judge or somebody makes the ruling, it, it's pure speculation. I try to explain to all the people that called me as a result of, of my previous appearance is I'll give you whatever you want, and I want you to know there are other services. But remember, you're going to need a lawyer to do this. And if the lawyer loses the case, no matter how good my report is, you're not going to get a nickel. So I proof is, and, and legal niceties have literally nothing to do with what I do. I have advised lawyers as to what the opposing counsel will probably do, and I get listened to more than occasionally. But I'm, I'm really very emphatic. I am the outcome of the of the trial, as far as I'm concerned, only hinges on whether or not the lawyer wins the the case. Because if he doesn't win the case, nothing else matters. So you're just uh, supplying you're just supplying ammunition yeah. to the attorney, and you're relying on him to put it into the appropriate device and execute it and get it done. Exactly. And I, the analogy that I use is I give him a, um, a, a 457 Magnum instead of a, a 22 Walter. Walter. Okay. But if he can't point it at something, then all better. Well, it can be in court. Well, okay. there's arguably a lot of uh, people with a bar card that ought not be in court. I don't think it's any argument. We just have to figure out who they are. Yeah, well, they're lining up the volunteer to tell us. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay. Just look at their win-loss record as a ratio as compared to their billable hours, and uh, you'll find out exactly who they are. Yes. And someday the bar is going to catch up with them. He says in his fantasy. Oh, yeah, but, you know, those are the guys that pay their dues. Yep, exactly right. That's why no one's going to bother him. Well, anyway. Um, yeah. We didn't, we, this wasn't supposed to be a bar bashing call. No, it's not. <laughs> I truly believe that most lawyers are very sincere, well-meaning people, and unfortunately there's a few other kinds of apples in the barrel. Exactly, just like anything. Well, you know, it's a. I look at it more like somebody put some pickles in my apple barrel. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a good. I like that. I'm curious to know if there's anybody else that that we had an opportunity to talk to because, as I shared uh, earlier, you know, the the people that are your listeners, like a couple of ladies that called in, are really smart, smart people. And uh, is there anybody else that we at the that made that uh, George and I had uh, spoken with that uh, that uh, is on the call. Well, we've got some folks here that are ranging from uh, Maryland and the Carolinas to California. Ah. Okay, hello everybody. Um, 
please don't be timid, even if you've been on the call already. If you've got another question or want to throw your two cents in, press star 8 on your telephone and uh, let us know that it's okay to unmute you and bring you onto the call. We don't want to force anybody to do anything. And if you're one of the uh, many guests that are just on the chat board and not called in, please type a question or a comment, and we will read it into the call. Well, let me share a couple things as we're waiting. Go ahead. So, you know, say you're um, uh, like a couple common pitfalls, you know, that people uh, may may do, like, um, you know, like um, – a lovely lady that called in earlier, um, whose name she didn't mention, so I won't mention it either. And she filed a bankruptcy because she was looking to get the information uh, from her lender. You know, there are a number of things that we can easily make mistakes and unconsciously damage ourselves with. So here are a couple of things. So first of all, uh, these are kind of my favorite go-to things uh, that you, if you're looking to increase your credit scores, that you that you may want to do or may not want to do. So. After you look at a copy, you know, I think it's so important to be able to understand uh, how to read a credit report. You know, kind of like an x-ray, you could see an x-ray, but unless you're really trained to read x-rays, you're not going to be able to read it in a way that an x-ray technician can read it. Uh, doctor, lawyer, anybody else, uh, any, anybody in whatever profession you're in, you have some kind of mastery about it. Uh, the areas that George and I have both chosen to focus are uh, life's purpose on, if you will, is in the area of the documents, these numbers of credit and of scores. And I think they're incredibly fascinating. And so if you look at a copy of your credit report, um, a speaking new attorney actually right before I got on uh, our call here in San Diego that wanted to pay off a series of collections that he had from a local uh, collection agency, and the, to- the total was $399 for three accounts that literally lowered his credit scores about 90 points. And he, he was advised to uh, he was advised to pay those off by his loan officer so he could do his refinance. And he was calling to check uh, what made sense. And he got my name, number, whatever, wherever. And uh, and I said, you know, that could potentially be the worst thing you could possibly do to your credit. And he's like, Are you serious? I said, Yeah, because now if you pay an open unpaid collection. If, again, I'll say it. If you pay an open, unpaid collection, say you have a, you know, in his case, a $399 collection account with, you know, a CMRE collection agency, for example, or, you know, um, whatever collection agency, medical bill, uh, you pay that. Now, once that creditor gets that money, they're not going to remove it. There is no pay-for-delete type of thing. That's not consistent with FCRA guidelines. So that's why the negotiation is so important. Because what would happen in that lawyer's case, or in your case, or my case, or anybody that does it this way, that has an open, unpaid collection, if you pay that account off, you write a check, maybe you settle it for 50 cents in the dollar, you write a check for, you know, $200 uh, to this collection agency. The following month, they're going to update it as a paid collection. And that, and that one account is going to drop your credit score to probably 35 to 80 points. Substantial. Now, if you're in the middle of a real estate deal and you're looking to get financed or you're buying a home with your wife or you want to refinance your house or something like that, you just shot yourself in the foot. You're out of the game. Your scores just dropped. So that's the number one tip that I would suggest. What do you think about that, George? I think how you pay your bills is, a, is as important as paying your bills. 
if you if life gets away from you and you get delinquent, okay, life happens. I, it happens to me all the time, not with my bills happily, but it happens to me all the time. And I'm very, just like you said, how, and, and one of the things that is equally important for everybody to know is if you have a collection account, it doesn't make any difference the amount of the collection. It's a major red flag to any creditor, whether it's paid or not. The very fact that you had it is what counts against you. Yes. It's impactful. We had an account for a client and a $12 collection from Sears. It was at least 90 points. At yeah. least 90 points on the derogatory side. So what that means is if you, if you got it removed, what would happen to the score? Jump 90 up. points. Jumps 90 points. So yeah. oftentimes you can do one or two actions that would increase your scores to get you back in the game. Uh, so you can get, you know, do what you want to do. That's number one thing. The second thing that I've been really seeing a lot of is, you know, um, throughout the years, you know, when banks were offering these loan modifications and all of this kind of craziness, uh, they would say to people, well, if you only go late 90 days, you go late three times, we'll get you into the modification program because that's part of it. Well, that's well, just another lie they told, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 exactly right. Well, so, you know, what I coach people on is, Say, listen, if you know you're going to go late, make sure you set up an automatic draft with an account that you know has got no money. And then when they pull the account, this is to buy yourself an extra 30 or 60 days. You know, it's a little creative, okay? Remember, it's tough to catch them. <laughs> they're, not, uh, they're not on our side. If any one of us got a Christmas card or a Hanukkah card from the creditors, if Visa would have sent me to, Corey, happy, uh, happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, if they would have once sent me a credit card or a Christmas card, I would have said, wow, I'm going to really pay these guys. They care for me. <laughs> <laughs> right? Not once. So if you ever have a situation like that, set up an account where you know money's not going to you're going to be, be able to pull from, uh, and then the day of, contact that, or the day after it's due, contact that creditor, and if possible, set up a new account, provide that creditor with another bank information, and then in the scramble of it all, the bank will ultimately have to end up deleting things, removing late payments, because the, because the representative taking the credit update information, or the uh, bank update information, is inevitably going to make a mistake, and it gives just cause for removal of any lates. Curry, tell me if this is on point with what you're saying. Uh, many years ago, when, oh, I was in the middle of my business, and uh, we were, you know, having customers and making money hand over fist prior to the effects of uh, all of the uh, manufacturers going offshore. Um, thank you, U.S. government, for their trade policies on that. All right. But nonetheless, um, as those things were transitioning, I had about... Uh, a ten thousand dollar, nine thousand dollar balance with uh, American Express's Optima rotating credit card, and they pulled they pulled it on me, put it into collections, and uh, they weren't they didn't give it to a third party. They were doing it themselves, and so I set up a payment plan and I paid them off over like six or nine months. And then I went and looked at my credit report, yep. and it was still showing as delinquent. And I, call, I called up this guy at American Express, 
And I said, hey, I just paid you like $10,000, you know, because I'm an honorable man. And he, he, he actually laughed at me on the phone. And yeah. he said, yeah. we're going to leave that on there for 10 years. I go, how can you do that when it's already been taken care of? And we settle our debt. Because that's just what we do. And I go, and I said, I said, but for God's sakes, I could have just gone bankrupt and shoved it up your ass as an unsecured credit or unsecured debt, and you wouldn't have got a thing, and I'd still be stuck. He goes, yeah. yeah. No, listen, the guy just said, yep. He he said these words, live and learn. And, And, you know, it was just like a devastating experience you know, because, you know, I was raising four kids and I could have sure used the money. But sure. uh, here, here's one of these supposed uh, pinnacles and uh, gems of the American financial system, American Express, don't leave home without it, that uh, just totally toasted my marshmallows and gave me a completely different perspective about what the banking system was about way back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I, that's, when, that's when I started questioning how these things work. I am so... As a as a consumer and an American, I am absolutely insulted by that treatment. I'm yeah. absolutely insulted by what you went through because because there is no care, there's no acknowledgement, there's no you know we really appreciate what it took for you, sir, to go so above and beyond the extra mile to make this payment good. Let's see what we can do to help you out. No, nothing. And no, that doesn't what happen. You, no, and it would make a difference, maybe, yeah? You know, if if it's like, well, you're telling me I could have gone this direction, but I wanted to be honorable and go the, other, go the right direction. Okay, well, there's no benefit to going the right direction. Welcome to the attitude of the American credit industry. <laughs> there is no benefit. Listen, you know, I'm not a, I'm, you know, if you've got to file bankruptcy, uh, the rule of, my, my personal rule of thumb is this. If your debts equal 83% of your income, you'll want to consider it. So if you're making $100,000 a year and you have debts, not including real estate, of course, but if you have debts, judgments, collections, charge-offs, late, you know, all the rest of this kind of stuff, in a total of $83,000 or more, you may want to consider filing bankruptcy because there's not going to be any chance that you're going to, you know, pay these things off over time unless you're going to get into uh, negotiated payment agreements, which is great, unless you're going to get into, you know, uh, some type of nominal promise to pay. But most creditors, you know, they want to get to get the best deals. I just settled a case last week on a on a client had an eighty thousand dollar collection. We settled it for twenty eight thousand dollars with payments, twenty five thousand dollars down, and then three thousand dollars over six months, five hundred six hundred dollars a month. So unless you have dollars, it's it's really, you know, it's, I'm sorry to say, it's really us or them, you know, and I want it to be us to be the, stand, the people standing at the end, you know, yeah. us to be yeah. able to be victorious and say, you know, I took charge of my financial future, you know, and paid off what I needed to pay off, but I did it with integrity. You know, I didn't run, I didn't run from something, I didn't, you know, I, I fought for something that mattered, you know, yeah. and I'm sorry you went through that, Craig. It's not how it's supposed to be. Well, obviously, it's not how it's supposed to be, but I only shared the story to let people know that that's kind of the stuff that could happen to you. 
Well, and it yes, happens more and more. Um, when I get involved in mitigation issues, that's the one thing that I try to explain to anyone who should know, and that is if you – anybody can pay money, but that doesn't mean you're going to get what you think you paid for. And that's the key. It's what you think you paid for. And, George, it also, it also comes into play if you're dealing with a third-party debt collector that actually has no claim in contract with you. Mm-hmm. And they don't even have the ability to lift the original statement on the credit report. No. They and they, and they, bought, they bought the thing for three cents on the dollar. And, frankly, your loan, is your debt is discharged by their payment. Yep. You know, somebody else discharged your debt. There you go. Amen. It's already paid for. So why are you even dealing with this third-party debt collector? Hey, you know, maybe you guys could talk for just a minute about third-party debt collectors and how you deal with them. Oh, yeah. Basically, I take them to the FDCPA prob- uh, issues. Um, I have some what I think are very funny bill collector. Um, I tell everybody, I used to be in the debt uh, counseling business. I was in it for about five years. And... Basically, when my clients came to me and said, I can't pay my bills, and I'm so stressed out by the phone calls, by the collectors, I'm afraid to answer the telephone. And I said, when you come in and see me, I'm going to change your whole attitude, and you're going to see that a bill collector call is an opportunity to make money, not a reason to be afraid. And we had one gal, she was out of Texas, and she was really being harassed by an overly aggressive uh, collector. I mean, I don't know if it was the guy's second day on the job or he was showing off for his boss, but he called this gal about, oh, every three hours. Then he shortened it to every two hours. Then he was calling her pretty much on the hour. I guess he had nothing else to do. Anyway, he threatened this woman who, by the way, had three jobs. She'd just been dumped by her husband, and she got all the bills and he got all the the rewards, okay? And the collector finally said, honey, if you don't send me some money, I'm going to come down there and I'm going to take your children away. And the woman, who was so tired of working, said, please come and get them. I need a vacation. I need a little time. Never heard from the guy again. <laughs> I got a situation. a great story. I had a lady call me one day, and she said, Corey, I'm and she was a client, and she called, Corey, I've got this major problem, and I'm like, what's going on? Her name was Sue. Said, Susan, what's going on? She's like, I got a, my, uh, uh, I'm late on my car payment. I'm like 90 days late, going into 120, and there's a repo guy outside my house, and he says he's ready to take my car. And I said, oh, it's, uh, you think you could figure out how to make the payment, you know? I, she's like, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I said, where are you? She goes, I'm in my car driving to work. <laughs> so I said, do you have another car? And she goes, no. And I said, well, first of all, he's lying because he's not outside your house going to take your car because you're in it. You know, and these third-party bill collectors, oh, my gosh, they're hilarious. I had yeah. a... Uh, I had a series of uh, what are real phone calls from from uh, creditors, uh, bill collectors, and man, they're all over the place uh, with threats and all types of lawsuits and fantastic cases involving threats and things like that. And so, my experience, keep in mind that the majority of the customers that I work with are people looking to move something forward around some real estate related thing. 
they want to buy a house, they want to buy a commercial building, they want to get financing for the business, that kind of thing. And so uh, they're very interested in moving quickly, right? And so, yep. uh, so they want to solve something fast. So like uh, this gentleman I was just speaking about who had this $80,000 collection issue, he's a professional race car driver. And so he was selling a business of his that was in that business. And he said, well, can I do something that will reduce my debt, quite frankly? And I said, uh, yeah, probably. And uh, he goes, I want to sell my business. And these guys are charging me 36% uh, every six months in interest on this money. And I said, well, how do like loan sharking? Yeah, oh, it's the business they're in. It's, uh, yeah. it was, he got, he got a, uh, a payday and a uh, corporate advance. Um, factoring. He did a factoring transaction on his mm-hmm. receivable. Very expensive, paying 72% a year in interest. How that That's works is, yeah. yeah, but it's normal in the industry. And, and any time that he would make a charge, they, they gave him, the company gave him a special swiping device that every time he swiped the card, uh, a big chunk of that money would go towards paying off that debt. And uh, he said, I need to come up with another solution. It's just, it's just killing me. And so, in fact, we did. So how I look to handle those things are I want to understand who the creditor is. And this is something that you can do, too. You want to understand who the creditor is because there are creditors that, in spite of FCRA, FDCPA, they will delete, period. Uh, now, it may take you two or three times to reach somebody, uh, but whether it's Wells Fargo uh you know, uh, Wells Fargo, I had a client last month who was a plastic surgeon up in uh, here in California. He had 730-day late on his, on his mortgage loan, was in foreclosure. Not only did we remove the foreclosure, they, the bank deleted the 730-day late. His scores went up 212 points. How we got that done? We worked with the Office of the President at Wells Fargo in Iowa. Sometimes you've got to get in the trench and got to get got to be willing to get dirty. George's stuff is dirty. He's in the trench coming up with answers. He's in the trench figuring out ways to be able to make it work so you get paid. I'm in the trench being able to figure out how you can get where you need to go, and the only thing that matters is how to get there, like the end result. And so, and the whole thing that, you know, we share is, you know, a love for doing all that and coming up with strategic ways. So when you have a collection account, you want to know who it is first. You want to find out if they own the debt. Oftentimes, as uh, Greg was saying, you know, these creditors buy and sell secondary debt two, three, four times, so you'll have a $500 collection on your account, a $500 collection on your credit report that's repeated five, six times. It looks like you'll have $3,000 of collections with one bill. How can that happen? Yep. That's, that's really an important thing to mention. I'm glad you did because a lot of folks that are dealing with uh, the insurance policies that banks take out on mortgages why they would rather have you fail and do a foreclosure versus settling up to get you back into good standing is because if they just settle with you and get you back onto the pony, then they're going to make $250,000. But if they can foreclose on you, they've got 30 insurance policies and they're going to make $40 million on your house. Yeah. And and it's it's just insane. But now people are taking at least understanding that that's happening, um, because that's all part of the baloney system of the of the Wall Street nonsense. And you know they they've been running basically ungoverned since uh, we destroyed uh, Glass Steagall. 
And, right. And and so it's kind of like uh, you were saying about the credit reporting agencies. They just do what they want because there's nobody telling them what to do. And Wall Street does what it wants because there's nobody telling them what to do. Blah, blah, blah. But going back to how it compares to third-party debt collectors, folks have got to understand that unless you actually are dealing with your true creditor and you actually settle up with your true creditor, that creditor may have sold your debt 15 times. Yeah. And that there might be people coming after you for the rest of your life, even though you've paid it off, and you'll never understand why. And some judge is going to let them bring it into court, and you're going to go, but I've got a receipt. And they're going to go, well, that's not this guy. That's another guy. This must be a different deal because, you know, these judges are just, what was it that Jan said? Um, I forget who said it. Uh, one of our guests. He said that they were just overpriced, um, uh, what did he call them, precinct captains who paid, oh. a, bri- who paid, a, who paid a bribe to the Democratic Party to get a judgeship. Yep, that's very accurate. And they just wanted to have this little job where they could just, like, you know, do this. And, yes, it's annoying and it's time-consuming and everything, but they believe they have some kind of immunity. And depending on who you talk to, they may have some, they may have none. But um, I I don't want to go into that because that turns into a whole, you know, American Revolution kind of a talk. But um, the point is, is that the lawyers and the judges are stupid when it comes to law. They're really sharp and smart when it comes to procedure, court procedures, the Supreme Court rules of how, you know, it's kind of like, what's the proper way to ask a girl on a date and go for a dance, you know? And if you don't ask her the very right way, then you can't go dance with her. Right. It has nothing to do with whether or not it's okay. (laughs) I'm glad, I'm glad, it's such a great analogy. So here's a wonderful procedure that people can do, uh, to, um, if you want to really, you know, resolve issues. So, you'll spend, if you call your creditor, and, you know, you may end up in a number of countries, right? You may end up speaking to Venezuela, uh, you may end up speaking to India, uh, you may end up speaking to Manila, you may end up speaking to, uh, now in the future, Cuba, uh, you may yeah. end up speaking to, uh, um, yeah, it's pretty, maybe in Mexico, um, depending upon what card, it, what, what the creditor is. <clears throat> so they're going to ask you and they're going to spend about 15 minutes verifying your, who you say, who they think you are. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Maureen, sure. Tell us your name. Great. Tell us your social security number. Great. What's your address? Great. What's your date of birth? Great. Uh, what's your mother's maiden name? Great. <clears throat> How can we help you? Right? And that'll spend 15 minutes. Now, you just disclosed absolutely every stitch of critical information about yourself. What did your dad tell you if you ever got captured? Right? Name, rank, serial number. That's the thing to give. Nothing more. Right? So what you want to ultimately do is to really limit the amount of information that you give to creditors because they're constantly updating information when you speak with them. And so what you want, what you want to do is you want to turn the tables. So here's what I do all the time, and it works like gold. So I'm speaking to a creditor. I'll say, okay, great. Um, uh, on behalf of a client, <clears throat> uh, I'll always submit. I will always submit. I never negotiate as myself. I have a third-party uh, entity 
that I created, a third man, if you will, that does my negotiations. We send a power of attorney over uh, on behalf of the client, authorized by the client, notarized, so we have opportunity to speak to the client, uh, the, the uh, creditor. We speak with the creditor and say, listen, do you have a power of attorney? Yes, we do. Great. So let's discuss this issue. So now I've taken all that away from them. Tell me what happened on my on this case here. Well, what specifically? Well, I could see there was a uh, a 30-day late in March of 2015, and there was a 30-day late in uh, April 2015, and then one in May 2015, and I could see there was others from 2010. I'm not interested in those. I want to speak specifically uh, specifically around you know February <clears throat> 2013. Okay, what do you want to know? Well, I want to know. Was I current two months before that? Let's take a look at the history. So I'm going to go back in time and say, okay, so if it's February 2015, say it was February, March, April, May, those are the late payments. We're going to start in 2014 to determine a pattern because what we're going to do is we're going to look to influence that customer service representative to show them this was a very isolated incident. You could see that based upon my past payment history, my past payment history was impeccable. And then something happened here, February, March, April, May, that caused something, and I don't quite know what it is, because you could see that I've had this account since 2010. I've never been late before. Yes, I could see that. Great. So wouldn't you agree that this is a very isolated set of circumstances? Why, well, yeah, I would. Like, okay, good. Remember, going for the yeses, going for the agreement. Simple, easy. Don't fight. Create agreement. And then start breaking down what happened, what happened. Let's look at this. Let's look at here. How are you getting payments? You said an op- uh, was it on an ACH? Was it on an automatic debit? Was it a bill payment service sending in debt, uh, sending in payments on your behalf? So guess what? I own a bill payment service, right? And one of the things is they're always making mistakes. Gosh darn those bill payment companies. They're making mistakes. I would say... of the credit corrections that we get are as a direct result of, quote-unquote, third-party error. And as a result, those items get deleted from a credit report. That was one of the things that I was going to ask before we hang up. And we're getting a little bit over the line, but that's all right. We started a little bit late, too. Is it really possible to remove judgments permanently from the person's financial record. I mean, foreclosures, judgments, all kinds of stuff. I mean, can you really make them go away, or do they just get relegated to some hidden other thing? No, they're gone. There are circumstances that uh, each each creditor is different. Certain creditors, such as, uh, well, certain creditors are a little bit more difficult. Citibank is one of the worst creditors to negotiate with and to deal with. Chase is second. Uh, other creditors... You can remove foreclosures, judgments, tax liens, IRS, franchise tax board liens permanently. 100% guaranteed. All righty. Well, gentlemen, really grateful for your taking the time to spend uh, this Thursday evening with us again. Um, I wish a couple of the other uh, folks that you had a chance to help could have gotten on the call as well. But, you know, maybe uh, we can do a little email thing back and forth and we can put together a little printed thing to... Let folks know that you're, you're real and uh, that the folks that you're helping are real. And uh, because I can attest to that because they write to me, call me, and email me. So 
I'll, I'll witness to that. Anyway, I think this is about all the time we've got. Some of you folks out there on the show might have heard or seen that uh, there's a little YouTube video out there. We encourage you to go take a look at it. Just go to YouTube, and uh, we have a new broadcast channel we just started called The Gallant Goose. And just look that up, and uh, we hope you enjoy that. Uh, we were going to try to sneak that in tonight, but we kind of ran out of time. But we think it's kind of funny. Good. <laughs> it is. It'll make you I'm laugh. Gonna... It'll make you cry. I'm going to go look at it later tonight. All righty. Um, so, everybody, let's uh, thank uh, Corey Goldstein and George Finder for coming on the show tonight and sharing the, their helpful information with y'all. Uh, before we go, guys, uh, could you please remind our audience how they can contact you for more information or your services? Sure. Uh, this is Corey. You can um, go to, you can visit Fix My Report, F I X. M-Y-R-E-P-O-R-T dot com. You can go on, you can go there. A lot of videos, testimonials, um, some special reports and things. You can see what other people have accomplished. You can fill out a form and, uh, and I'll, you know, certainly call you. I respond quick. And that's one simple way to, uh, to reach me. For George Finder, you can certainly contact me through Corey because we coordinate a lot. But for those of you who are uh, concerned about mortgage issues, I've prepared a special report that explains why, if you haven't given up, why this is a very good time to fight back regarding your mortgage. You, the, the consumer has more judicial recognition and rights now than ever before. And I find it very encouraging. I find it disappointing that it took so long to get here, but we're here now, and I want everybody who can to take advantage of their increased rights, their increased opportunities to get compensated for how they were abused, whether you use me or whether you use somebody else, at least know what your rights are and why you've got them. It's a wonderful feeling to know you have rights. Well, George, uh, uh, George I don't know if I can agree with you. These are rights we already had that are finally being recognized. Well, okay, that's terminology that would do any lawyer proud. Um, I'm particularly thinking of the right to sue. The, the requirements to have the right to sue are more consumer-friendly now than they've been in the last 10 or 12 years. Uh, that's not up for argument. That's a fact. Uh, I think I there are more... I think there are more lawyers now who are honest about what they're going to do for you and actually do something for the consumer rather than just collecting money for literally doing nothing. I know of too many uh, lawyers in several states who basically were collecting five and $10,000 a month per client just allegedly for postponing a foreclosure. And that's all they did. It did not benefit the consumer in any way. So, George, where do we find that document that you're talking about? Uh, write to you and ask for the Homeowner's Bill of Rights, and it'll be in that mm -hmm. document. All right. You got that, everybody? Uh, so send an email to thegallantgoose at gmail.com. And uh, I'm presuming then that George will send me a copy of that, and I can forward it to you. Yes. All right. 
again, I said this earlier, I'll remind everybody again, we posted a lot of the contact information for Corey and George and the girls. All this stuff is already on the chat board. Use chatgrabber.com, show number 139335, and then show number 29 to go and read the links and the posts that were put up in there today. Okay. All right. Okay, and if anybody has any suggestions about future guest speakers, please feel free to send us an email and include their information, and we'll try to get them on board. Uh, we hope the program has been helpful. Again, Corey and George, thank you very much. We have some final program notes. Uh, as a brief note, um, please mark your calendars for these upcoming shows. Next week, April 21st, we have Dr. Bob Locke, uh, from here in Chicago, who will be back with part two of his series on foreclosure evidence and procedure and the need for expert witnesses. On April 28th, we'll attempt our first roundtable discussion, inviting our previous guests from the first quarter of this year to all come and hang out with us, kind of like a Charlie Rose table. I don't know how that's going to work, but, you know, we're going to send out the invites and see who bites. On May 5th, uh, Mr. Ken Doss will be back with his third and final installment on his MERS and securitization research theories. And on May 12th, um, Professor uh, Dr. Ed Rivera will be joining us for the first time to share his views and research into organic American law and what it means to each of us. We hope you'll be able to join us for all those shows. During the interim, you're all encouraged to visit each of these different guests' respective websites or listen, again, to previous shows that were recorded here on the Gallant Goose and Friends. And finally, on behalf of our guests, Corey Goldstein, George Finder, and our dedicated team here at the Gallant Goose and Friends, we thank you all. Good night, everyone, and we'll see you all next week. This is the Gallant Goose and Friends, airing live from coast to coast and around the world on Thursday nights at 645 Eastern here on TalkShoe.com. Program number 139335. This is Big Papa Stanford reminding y'all when it comes to saving your house, don't let the Bank of Blues stop you from getting all your clues. We thank y'all for being here tonight. I was born in Illinois, in a place they call Chicago. I was born in Illinois. A place they call Chicago Now see I was still on the city street With a song to ride But I'm to tell my story Raised on the south side In the zone they call the valley For one we bought penny candy Chase rats up and down the alley I was born
Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.